For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all. Um, many of us are have been sitting all morning for a half day sitting uh, today, and we're continuing until about twelve thirty. So we've had a chance to just settle our minds and our hearts into some dedicated practice. I'm trying to manage two devices today uh, because my uh, it seems that I have a better sound quality if I join by phone. So you'll be hearing my voice coming from uh, the static picture of me. Um, but I wanted to talk today. I think when I gave the talk two weeks ago, I was talking about compassion and Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion. And I wanted, and we chanted um, the universal gateway of Kanzeon Bodhisattva. And I wanted to talk more about that chant today. And also, um, maybe we, we will have a discussion together about some of, some of the, the workings of Kanzeon Bodhisattva in our world uh, later on. I'll talk about kind of some context for that. I'm going to share my copy of the chant with you so that you can look along while, I, um, while I'm talking. So let me go do that. Okay. So I want to give you also a little bit of context. So this chant is the, it's not from the Lao Tzu Sutra, as it appears to say on my, uh, <laughs> on my script, but it's from the Lotus Sutra. It's chapter 25. And the Lotus Sutra is... A, a, a very, very old um, Buddhist text. It, it was written in parts starting around 100 years before the Common Era and ending sometime around five, maybe four or 500 years uh, within the Common Era. And at that time, most people did not read or write. Um, so everything, pretty much everything in the Lotus Sutra is described in a sort of a, um, you know, prosaic kind of way in each chapter. And then at the end of the chapter, every, every chapter is summarized in a verse. And I think the verse is so that it's something that can be, it, 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 it condenses the chapter and it's something that can be memorized and chanted. And, and that is what has come to be with, with this universal gateway of Kanzeon Bodhisattva. It's chanted traditionally in Japanese temples. And we sometimes chant it. We haven't chanted it as much um, as we do some of our other texts. But I, I think it's, it's really a wonderful, wonderful text. It's really about, um, you know, being in the world and facing your suffering and facing the suffering of others and responding with compassion. And as I was talking about two weeks ago, we think of compassion as something that exists in the world and 
that we, because it exists, we can bring it forth. I talked about um, the the passage from Genjo Koan where we talked about how, you know, there's wind, but sometimes we also have to fan ourselves if we want to have the wind pervade everywhere. So this is, this is one, one dimension of, of bringing compassion to everything at, and everywhere. And so it starts out, uh, we talked about also the different names of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Avalokiteshvara is the Bodhisattva of compassion. And in Japan, that Bodhisattva has the name Kanon which means seeing or observe, kan is seeing or observing or regarding, and on is sound, and kanzeon is the regarder of the world's sounds. So in this chapter, what, what has been happening up until in the first 24 chapters is Buddha has brought together an assembly of myriads of of bodhisattvas and and buddhas from from our world and from other worlds and from under the ground and 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 is preaching the lotus sutra which is really the law and he's been talking about um he's been talking about the four noble truths you know he's been talking about the pervasiveness of suffering the origins of suffering the cessation of suffering and then how we can suffer, how we can how how suffering ends how how that comes to be and the different in multitude dimensions and so what has happened right before this verse is that one of the bodhisattvas has asked Buddha let me just actually read it one of the Buddha's bodhisattvas says, world-honored one, for what reason is the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara named regarder of the cries of the world? And the Buddha answered this Bodhisattva and said, good son, if there be countless hundred thousand myriad kotis of living beings suffering from pain and distress who hear of this Bodhisattva, regarder of the cries of the world, and with all their mind call upon his name, the Bodhisattva, regarder of the cries of the world, will instantly regard their cries and all of them will be delivered. And so that is what this chapter and particularly this verse expounds on. So the universal gateway, well, I'll get, I guess I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. The universal gateway just means that each being can enter into this from wherever they are, whatever their circumstances, and find, receive some relief from their suffering. So, so this, this sutra verse starts with what I think of as an introduction, and it goes, listen to the deeds of Kanzeon, regarder of the world's sounds, aptly responding in every quarter, who with immense vow, deep as oceans, throughout kalpas, beyond reckoning, has served many billions of Buddhas, bringing forth this great pure vow. This vow is described in detail in the Flower Ornament Sutra. I know that some of you are in a study group that has been reading the Flower Ornament Sutra for some time, and 
you possibly haven't gotten to it yet because I, I found it about about 11, 1,100 pages into the sutra uh, where Sudana goes to Mount Potalaka and, and finds Avalokiteshvara and asks about you know, how can I, how can I save beings? How can I help living beings? And um, Avalokiteshvara expounds on what he, exactly his vow is. And I should mention that um, the, the Flower Ornament Sutra was, was written down or composed roughly in this same time frame as, as the Lotus Sutra, but it's, but it really is a separate text. So Avalokiteshvara describes to Sudana his practice of awakening beings through undertaking compassion without delay. And he goes on to outline the four methods of bodhisattva guidance, or at least mentions them, which are generosity, kind speech, beneficial action, and cooperation. And those are uh, qualities that Dogen in particular has has written about in 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 a famous passage. And he shows how he manifests in inconceivable multitude of forms. He that Avalokiteshvara can take any number of forms that would be helpful to living beings. He says he takes care of them, takes care of beings by speaking according to their mentalities. So speaking in a way that people can hear. That when I think when I hear the word mentality, I sometimes think of um, intelligence, but I don't think that that's all that's meant here. Um, when we are trying to persuade someone of something, for instance, we would try to speak to them in a way that they will be likely to be able to hear and take in. You know, we choose, we choose our words so that we can be heard and so that someone doesn't turn away from us. And, and I think that's, that's what he's talking about here. And he says that he appears in any form that is part of their conditions and vows to serve as a refuge for all beings. And that's why this is the universal gateway, that Avalokiteshvara is not stuck in just one way to help. So this is happening, you know, throughout kalpas beyond reckoning. So in every culture, in every community, in every, in every land, in every life, uh, goes on to say, hearing the name or seeing the form of Kanzeon with mindful remembrance is not vain, for thus can be erased the woes of existence. So when we recognize a manifestation of compassion in our life, our own hearts are turned. And a man, as, as I'll talk about in a moment, compassion can can manifest in many forms, infinite forms. So that's kind of the intro, and then this sutra starts to delineate and detail some possible ways that that beings could be harmed. So you know, even if someone with harmful intent should push you into a great fiery pit. By mindfully invoking Kanzeon's power, the pit of fire will turn into a pond. Um, if from Mount Sumeru's lofty peak, someone were to hurl you down, by mindfully invoking Kanzeon's power, like the sun, you would hang in the sky. Uh, if pursued by evil men down from a diamond mountain, by mindfully invoking Kanzeon's power, they could not harm a single hair. And you can hear 
in the rhythm of these verses, the, the way that this appeals maybe to an oral tradition of speaking and hearing and remembering, you know, with, with the repetition of, you know, by mindfully invoking Kanzeon's power, it almost um, kind of lulls you into a, a reminder of, okay, mindfully invoke Kanzeon's power. So the sutra talks about, you know, numbers of calamities or threats that can befall us and how Kanzeon can help. These calamities or perils can really seem, and and Kanzeon's assistance can seem a little bit magical or superstitious. Um, The, you know, like the sun you would hang in the sky seems to defy the laws of gravity, you know, or um, the, the billowing waves cannot, oh, wait, nowhere, the pit of fire will turn into a pond. It seems to defy the laws of physics. And, and certainly, it seems to def- defy, in particular, the law of cause and effect. And I think, just, just bear with me on this. I'll talk about this a little bit more later. But I want to suggest that these perils and the assistance from Kanzeon may be external, but they may also be internal. So if, you know, we can think about someone's, you know, someone's action has pushed us into a great fiery place in our, in our minds, in our heads. Uh, I think it's easier to think about how invoking Kanzeon's power might help that pit of fire turn into something a little bit less uh, desperate, you know, so we, we might get to some, some place by, by remembering the power of compassion we might get to some place that is a little less tortured with ourselves. Um, similarly, there's a, there's a verse right here. If surrounded by vicious bandits, each wielding a sword, sword set for assault, by mindfully invoking Kanzeon's power, at once their hearts will be turned to compassion. That could happen. You know, that, that is something that could happen. We could find a way using some of Kanzeon's wisdom to turn that situation, you know, and, and, and turn someone's heart to compassion. So think about these as not maybe quite so literal as they seem, but as maybe uh, just, you know, examples of, of ways that compassion could help. So we have any number of different possible perils. And then there's a little bit more of an expository portion, which for me always brings about a feeling of compassion. So it goes on to say, the sutra goes on to say, when leaving beings suffer hardships, burdened by immeasurable woes, the power of Kanzeon's wondrous wisdom can relieve the suffering of the world. Kanzeon has wondrous wisdom and is fully endowed with miraculous powers and widely practicing wisdom and skillful means. So, um, you know, we, in, in Buddhism, we, we often equate wisdom with Manjushri. We, Manjushri is the Bodhisattva of wisdom. And what Manjushri does is Manjushri wields a sword and Manjushri's sword cuts through our delusions, you know, just like that. 
and helps us to recognize um, the truth of emptiness the uni- and, and, and the universal. It, it, Manjushri's sword enables us to see into the universal nature of all things as manifestations of emptiness. So we can see through the self-other dichotomy, that, that nothing has a fixed self separate from the world around it. And that in many ways we are one. But we also know that we can't stay in that place. We can't just stay in, you know, hey, the oneness of everything. We also are individuals. And what Avalokiteshvara or Kanzeon's wisdom, what characterizes that is that it's tempered with compassion. And compassion, you know, recognizes the phenomenal nature of all beings that, yes, we are one but we are also individuals. And, and so Kanzeon recognizes that, that we have a need to relieve individual suffering. In every, so the, the verse goes on to say, in every land and in all directions, in no realm does Kanzeon not appear. You know, we, we have these, these figures in every culture, in every religion that I'm aware of, representing compassion you know we all want our cries to be heard and responded to from the moment we take our first breath until we take our last breath and we we may you may not have ever even known the name Kanzeon before this talk or or before you came into a buddhist temple but you have known compassion you know you you have known people in your life who have who have brought you some compassion that is i think in in our western culture and maybe everywhere um associated with mothers you know as as a source of compassion people don't always necessarily feel that way about their individual mother and that can bring on a lot of painful feelings that because because we have this archetype of mothers representing compassion and 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 so so just just to say that that there is a there is some form some figure that represents compassion in all cultures uh where's i think i let's see i'm looking for one piece. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to find it, but, but so it goes on to talk about uh, the wondrous voice of Kanzeon, pure as Brahma voiced sounds of the tides surpasses all sounds within the world. Therefore ever keep it in mind in each thought with never a doubt Kanzeon, the pure sage in pain, agony, or death's distress can provide a sure support. And then the, the verse concludes with the line, fully endowed with all virtues, eyes of compassion, behold all beings, assembling a boundless ocean of happiness, thus with reverence, bow in prostration. So there, there's such, I think what, what characterizes this part of this verse for me is just the wonderful 
imagery, you know, eyes of compassion, beholding all beings, assembling a boundless ocean of happiness, or further up, pouring Dharma rain of sweet dew, quenching all flames of troubling passion. There's something very calming about this. And I, and I can imagine people, you know, throughout history, chanting this verse as a prayer or as a source of comfort in, in trouble and distress. And, and really, that's, that's what this sutra is saying, this, that by calling out in distress, we will be responded to. You know, there are times when that is really all we can do. And we will be met with caring assistance in the midst of our challenges. Now, help doesn't always come in the way that we expect. You know, as I, as I said, help may be internal, our own heart opening, dispelling hostility, or maybe we have an insight suddenly that is somehow calming or restorative or, or helps us turn the situation around, helps us realize, okay, this is uh, maybe, maybe this situation itself is an illusion or a delusion. But help may be external too. You know, we might receive in a, in a desperate moment when we're feeling particularly depressed or low, we might get a phone call from a friend and that person is not realizing that they're acting as, as Kanzeon, but that, that, that was the effect. You know, someone may show up on our, on our doorstep with a, with, with food and, and at a time when we really needed it. And that, that is another dimension of compassion. We might, our car might have gotten out of control and we are about to drive off a cliff, but whoa, there's a guardrail. And, and that's an aspect of compassion. I have a friend who, um, when, you know, when, when we hear sirens, and, and actually in our, in, our, in our old temple on Irving Park Road, we heard sirens quite frequently because it was a very busy street. And uh, my friend would pull over in her vehicle, and as the emergency vehicle passed, she would just bow, you know, and, and I like, I love that because it made me, I, it, it made me realize that whenever we hear a siren, it's generally someone responding, someone responding to something that is, that is tragic. Someone is in distress and someone is responding. And, and so we can maybe think of that as a, as a reminder. Now it's also true though, that, um, Help may not always be something that we like or something that we wanted. Sometimes we are in the midst of, of unskillfulness and we are in the midst of harming someone, some being or about to harm some being or har- some harming ourselves. Uh, I, I had uh, friend, a friend who was pulled over once for a speeding ticket and they were really they were young and and they were they were kind of upset and the uh, the sort of the state police sort of pointed out you know I'm actually preventing you from an accident so you don't like you know you don't like they 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 kind of realized that I don't like this speeding ticket but it is maybe preventing me from doing something more reckless or um, you may have had a friend who confronted you about some uh, about something at some point um, some people have friends or family members who confront them about a problem that they're having with an addictive behavior like alcohol or, or substances 
That is also, isn't, I think that that's also really, you know, a manifestation of compassion, that it's preventing greater harm from, to ourselves or to, and to others. So the response from Kanzeon comes in the form that you need. And we don't know always what that is. And it comes immediately. You know, we know from the Julmir Samadhi that uh, drumming and singing begin together that the response, the call and the response come up together. So these are the works of Kanzeon. I'm going to stop sharing my screen because we will be, we will be chanting this a little bit later, but I want to talk for a little bit and maybe we can have more of a discussion after this. I want to talk about how I have been moved this week in particular by watching the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. And I also have been, you know, trying to prepare this talk this week and pieces of this sutra continue to come up for me while watching this trial, you know, not not in a like a you know x plus y equals z but but just so many different dimensions of this sutra and of thinking about compassion come up as we you know i haven't been i haven't been watching nonstop i kind of check in with with what's happening every day but you know witnessing events that are already known were already known to me and understanding more about the background context for these events so I want to say a little bit about my thoughts on how maybe compassion is manifesting, um, you know, and without knowing anything about the motives or the character of the individuals involved, I can say that this, the, the situation bears a large resemblance to some of the perils described in the sutra. Um, you know, we have, we have beings who were ordinary people whose karma led them to be in this place at this time. And, 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 that's, and, and that is our lives and, and things happen and, and there's a response. So I think in particular, um, the image of, of George Floyd crying out in pain for his mother reminded me of this you know, invoking the power of compassion and invoking um, the, 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 the wish for, for relief and for someone to hear our cries and to respond. Um, you know, we, we know that this happened because people were already aware of his distress, you know, and, and we can see and hear a video of the crowd pleading with the police to ease their hold. And, and, and I think that that crowd is a, is a manifestation of compassion and watching the witnesses in this trial um, who are, who are almost universally moved to tears, I think is, is, is also an aspect of compassion and seeing the feeling, you know, and hearing the feelings of helplessness mirrored throughout the crowd you know, I think that that is very much part of the working of compassion is that we are all wired for it as human beings. We hear someone's distress and we want to help and we try to help. And 
part of what's tragic about this situation is that so many people felt that they couldn't help and 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 that's part of what is is so troubling to to them and 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 to me to all of us but it's also true that you know we can fail to hear the cries of of suffering beings we can fail to recognize others pain and that's maybe evident in um you know what 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 was happening with the police that um there's there's a way in which maybe some participants in this were caught up in an idea an idea of what they had to do an idea of who this person was and um and and acted in a way that that was really unskillful and ended up in, in ending someone's life and you know we can all have these thoughts at times we we carry ourselves forward maybe and hopefully not in such a tragic way um but you know the thought of like i have to control this person this person is out of control i have to do this um we we all can we all can think that way at times you know i i'm a subject who has to verb this object and that is always some element of violence in this in this instance it was it was deeply an element of violence um and we don't know you know i don't i don't know anything about this this person or his motivation or character uh don't know what denial of the pain of the situation was was playing within his actions but um but that is but that is something that we all can 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 be a part of as well so you know how does kanzeon's power power to relieve suffering fit in here you know a um, um, a person perished and so we can wonder to ourselves you know where was compassion um and honestly i don't i don't know but i have i have some thoughts you know compassion goes beyond our limited understanding so i can't know you know the exact workings of compassion here i it's not an equation you know where x plus y equals z i can i can observe some facts which was that there was a being who was suffering here and they were suffering his george floyd's suffering extended beyond that moment you know we 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 learned that he was suffering through the pain of addiction the pain of systemic racism maybe you know racial profiling poverty inequality as well as the ordinary pains of our existence you know separation from loved ones personal shortcomings of 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 maybe his own greed hate and delusion and we don't know what kind of compassion came up we do see that everyone who was present on witnessing this was moved to compassion and and trying to do something and and in his death um you know it's it's become a galvanizing symbol for all of those who are who are working to end various types of suffering that may not have defined George Floyd's life but did define his death so you know the black lives matter movement and the defunding police and working to end um substance abuse for instance i think are 
major forces in our in our society that that have come so much more to the forefront the increased awareness of inequality and and of of injustice and so maybe it's also important to recognize that you know in addition to compassion going beyond our limited understanding our life is bigger than us we are we we know that you know we we will uh, the the five remembrances are you know i i'm of the nature to grow ill i'm the na- of the nature to grow old i'm of the nature to die and we know that our actions are the only thing that helps us to live live on you know we live on through our actions we live on through those we touch we are each of us just aggregates of causes and conditions in the world you know working themselves out some of these we can change individually and some we cannot so you know we can we cannot go beyond the laws of cause and effect as they operate in individual lives but we can see you know kanzeon in the faces of the crowd the the quick thinkingness of the of a teenager taking a video you know that person was awake and i think of the um the image that we talked about last time of the thousand armed avalokiteshvara with each hand has an eye in it each and each eye can see and each hand holds a different implement there was someone who who you know grabbed a, a what they had available and and saw you know um we hear it we hear kanzeon in the pleading of you know the paramedic to you know don't don't do it this way would you like me to give you some instruction on the proper way to hold someone we could hear kanzeon in the rebuke from a bystander and we can think about the power of kanzeon in in the process of having a trial at all um one of kanzeon's primary qualities is to listen and to listen to it all and that that is what what seems to be happening now is there's an opportunity to listen to all of what happened and weigh that and try to try to understand and try to enact some form of justice so you know although the sutra implies that kanzeon can overturn cause and effect i don't know that it's that simple and i don't know that it's that literal um i think that maybe we could think about kanzeon working within the laws of cause and effect you know we don't know what effects are yet to be seen and are yet to come out of this and we know that there are are multitudinous people who are trying to work for the benefit of change as a result of this situation um and and systemic changes and and i think that that is really important so that is a t- a very tough topic and um and i don't mean to make light of it at all uh, by by speaking about it i think that um it it does introduce a very challenging way to tr- try to get our heads around you know where is compassion here if we if we believe this sutra that there is compassion everywhere and at all times then i think we 
you know, we have to sort of try to see where that is and try to understand that. But I also want to talk about how this can impact us, both um, the sutra and the verse and understanding Kanzayan and then thinking about, about compassion and how we are moved to compassion and how we can use that, that being moved to act in our lives. You know, we are, all of us, by virtue of practicing together, we are practicing the bodhisattva way, but that looks different in each of our circumstances. So how can we hear and see and witness the, the aftermath of this event and let it change us? How can we find ways to be agents of compassion in our ordinary lives? So I'll throw out a couple of ideas that have occurred to me. Uh, the first one of which is to stay awake. You know, it's, it's, there are things that it is painful to see and hear and witness, but it's important that we try, you know, despite our limitations to not look away and as much as we can. There are times when we, we do have to because, because we are human beings and part, that's part of us being limited beings. But, but to try to stay awake and to be aware and try to, you know, see if there's a way that we can help in a situation and then respond with what you have at hand. You know, you don't have to wait for the perfect thing to say or do to occur to you. That's, that's a little bit of a trap. It's, it's okay. Try to forgive yourself if you don't stay or do the perfect thing. Um, and, and if someone corrects you, just try, try, to be, try to accept that with grace. That, you know, you're, and, and, and recognize that we're all in a process of trying to work towards greater understanding. Another key thing that I think we all can do is to be open to hearing and feeling our own suffering, that we want compassion and and knowing that um, to when, when we're suffering to try to bring compassion to ourselves, to not turn away from ourselves. And, and I think we can, um, you know, sometimes talk to ourselves so harshly and say, well, you should have known better or, you know, why did you do that? Um, or, you know, tough luck. And, and I want to, you know, those, I want to just encourage everyone to just practice with times when you're suffering and, and practice with bringing some compassion to that situation. It doesn't, um, you know, it, I don't know. Uh, I do know though, that when we're, when we're, open to hearing and feeling our own suffering, we are more able to hear and feel the suffering of others. So when we decide, you know, hey, I'm not going to be vulnerable, or I'm not going to let that bother me, that, um, that keeps us from being able to respond to the suffering of others. And so knowing how to ease your own suffering will help you to know how to ease, help, help ease the suffering of others. So these, I think, are some of the ways that Kanzeon manifests in our world. And our world is desperately in need of some compassion. So I think our practice, you know, at this time is all the more important. Not, not that it ever wasn't important, but, but this is how we 
this is this is part of how we are individuals, but yet we are also all connected. We we can be agents of compassion for each other. So I think that that is all I want to say. And I know I've gone on for a, a, quite a time, um, but I'm hoping we could have a little bit of a discussion. And so anyone who would like to um, share anything, I think um, seeing you or David maybe will call on people. Please do. Thank you for your attention. I see that Eve has her hand raised. And Eve, you're muted. Okay, yeah, I know. I just had a question. So when you were talking about Kanzayon, you said he, and usually Avalokiteshvara, I thought, is portrayed as female. So I I just, um, were you, like, wanting to say it's beyond gender? I, I was just curious. Yes, you know, I didn't mention that. Um, this time I did two weeks ago, but Kanzeon, I think, you know, Kanon is often portrayed as male in Japan, but in China, um, the most common form of Avalokiteshvara is Kuan Yin, who is represented as, as a female um, character being. So, uh, and, and some be some, some representations of Avalokiteshvara are, not so easy to determine masculinity or femininity. Um, but I think of Kanzeon as male. So I, I just, I did say he. But so is that like predominant in Japan that people, people think about Kanzeon as male? You know, I have never been to Japan, so I'm not sure. I thought it was. What, why do you ask? Yeah. Well, I'm just cause I was wondering and, um, and I guess, you know, I was wondering, yeah, like, I guess what the implications are for our own own practice and what we want to visualize. You know, I think um, either either way, Quan Yin from China is very much portrayed as feminine. I think, um, I believe that Tara, actually, in the Tibetan tradition is also a manifestation of the Bodhisattva. Caption. Yeah. So you can you can kind of pick your your bodhisattva, <laughs> whatever okay. feels most comfortable. And that's and that's I think part of I think that's another um, part of Kanzeon appearing in whatever form would be helpful to living beings. You 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 can find an image that feels comforting for you and feels like something that you can identify with personally. I think Miozan has. I think, yes. I think Miozan. <clears throat> yes. Uh, thank you, Asian, for your talk. Um, I, I just wanted to comment briefly on this question that Eve asked. And um, I do not know the significance of this sort of gender fluidity of, um, I mean, I think, Avalokiteshvara, um, as under that name, is almost always male. <clears throat> and I don't know quite what to make of the, the shift 
to uh, being female or whatever in, in Chinese and some Japanese contexts. But I find it really interesting. And I just want to note that um, in the Buddhist kingdom of Gandhara, um, which is kind of in present day Pakistan, um, there was a great flourishing of, of art there as Buddhism moved there and it encountered, they were also encountering Greek influences. And there are images produced in Gandhara where the figure is actually um, hermaphroditic. Um, so, so like on one side of the face, half a mustache on the other side of the face, not, um, on one side of the body, a female breast on the other side, not. And so I don't know what to make of that, but it's very interesting. Um, and somebody might want to research that. Also, Asian, I just wanted to thank you. This, this practice you mentioned of your friend who, who would got show at the sound of a siren. Um, that just seems, I'm, I might have to think about that one. So, so thank you for, uh, bringing that to our attention. Okay, thanks. Emily? Hi, Emily. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you so much for your uh, for your talk, Aishan. I really enjoyed the part one and part two of, of this subject of compassion and, and looking at this sutra. And I think one thing I really appreciated today um, was you giving a, a way to sort of think about these really magical, um, these magical descriptions in the sutra, because last week I did find myself like kind of wondering what to do, what, how to think about some of these things, because they do seem hard to relate to our everyday lives. Um, but I, I love the concept of, of thinking of them more as almost like internal ways of kind of quenching negative energy and being able to tap into compassion, even in really difficult situations. Like, um, so I, I find that kind of inspiring and, and um, like kind of like food for your imagination um, of thinking about like, you know, turning a fiery pit into water. Um, I, I think that's, that's a nice way to make them feel like they, they even though they, they, this is an ancient sutra, it still has something to say to our kind of, you know, modern modern day struggles to interact with compassion with, with others. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Yes. Um, I found thank, that really helpful. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, I think about this sutra in a similar way that I, that I think about um, seeing, you know, the form of, um, maybe especially like thousand armed uh, Avalokiteshvara, where it's it's a depiction in a form that humans can understand and relate to of something that is beyond um, you know comprehension. So we every everything that is that is universal, we have to find a way to translate it into our you know ability to use language or if we if we want to communicate about it and so i i think of the imagery in this as as trying to do that to trying to um communicate something that goes beyond the imagery but we but we don't have words to that that are adequate to describe so or we or we can't you know use forms so so we use the forms that we have as human beings and and so thanks 
it, 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 it's, um, it's, it's food for thought anyway. I think I see Deborah's hand up also. Um, oh, hi, I'm on a phone. So thank you. I wanted to thank you so much for this deep insight into the Lotus Sutra chapter. I um, personally have been really touched by your last comments about self-compassion. Um, I'm personally have tried to, like many of us probably are trying to face these large issues in our world, climate change, um, incarceration, Black Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter, um, poverty, food scarcity. You could go on and on. And um, I've been struggling with it because I felt at times it caused so much unease in me that I wasn't able to have that, you know, sort of a sense of balance. And I really appreciate you supporting that awareness of um, having self-compassion and maybe facing things as much as you can. So that's what was one of my takeaways. And I wonder if you agree with my understanding. I think so. I think that that is part of having self-compassion is recognizing that we're doing our best um, and that we, and, and knowing, knowing what that is for you, you know, when, when do, when do we have more to give and, and when don't we, and how do we, how do we find a balance for that in our own lives? It's um, we can beat ourselves up for our limitations or we can accept that those limitations exist and continue to try to, you know, to, to repair a state, a misstatement, for instance, if, if we need to do that or, or repair a, an unskillful activity. Um, but without, but without beating ourselves up, just, just trying to do, you know, the act of reparation. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, it's like having a skillful response to what you're seeing, but also with yourself. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Ishan. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks for being here today. Any other thoughts or comments, David? Thank you so much, Ishan. And thanks for for making me think about Kanzayon over the last few weeks. I really appreciate it. I've I've been thinking about how that this poem, how this how the the, the Lotus Sutra, Sutra chapter feels like it talks to a really you know like primitive or youthful part of the of the mind of the brain. Sorry, I think I've got some some sound. I'm trying to make it stop. Um, you know how like the 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 archaic part of the brain, or you know that we're that we, we, we still have Stone Age minds, and one of the things that practice David, to the, the tender, youthful. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I, it's it's the the sound is just not working. I think it's my my uh, my computer. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. It's just just that you know everybody loves superheroes with superpowers, and that's the way that Kanzayon is portrayed in this. And there's a part of me and everybody, I think, that that just wants to hear that everything's okay, and it and it's it's okay if if, if it has an element of fiction fantasy. It it's actually there, there's there's something deep in the heart that responds to it, and I feel that in practice too. I'm really feeling that today. So thank you for this this half day sit. Yeah. Thank, thank, well, thank you. And thank you for being here. You know, 
it's it, it's challenging because there are times when things turn in our lives and it feels like a miracle and um and yet we don't have control over that happening you know if it, if it were as simple as just calling out and saying hey i need help and and we get exactly what we want for help that would be one thing but we we call out and we there is a response but we don't always no, you know, no exact. We don't always recognize it. We don't always know exactly what it is, and we can sometimes think that we don't. Um, we don't want it, but there's also, yeah. Eva's pointing out that skill that small things matter. There's, there's, um, there is that way in which each of us can, um, through our practice help ourselves to stay open and tender so that we, and, and awake so that we can be present to respond to the suffering of others. That, that is hopefully um, part of the point of, of all of our practice that we are developing maybe some wisdom, but that, but, but that like, like Kanzeon, our wisdom is tempered with compassion. We, we recognize that there are, universal laws that bind us but that each person each being is is experiencing suffering in their own way and how can we help you know and and keeping that desire to help and and not burning out so that's where you know maybe the self-compassion comes in is that you need to take care of yourself so that you don't burn out i want to just make sure i'm responding to yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Deborah was saying when faced with the enormity of what needs to happen and the difficulty of dealing with root causes and that even the act of bearing witness can be helpful. I think the act of bearing witness can be incredibly helpful. And um, because that helps to, um, you know, inform us about, about how we can be more skillful, how we can avoid suffering and, and, and relieve suffering for the future. So, um, any other comments before we wrap up? Oh, Patrick. Thank you. Um, I was, um, as you were going through the, the, um, uh, sutra, I was, uh, something struck me that I didn't, um, think about last time. Uh, you spoke on it, and this idea of listening that re- the regarder of the cries of the world and it's simply um, hearing and then responding with compassion yeah. without any judgment or like it's you hear the cry and you help um, and that that hearing and listening, like you said, like being present and open uh, is, is really difficult. Um, and it is a, can be a big um, impediment for me uh, to stay open and not say like, well, you know, what, what's the context of your suffering? Like, did you do it to yourself? Right. Like all these extra layers it's there's a cry and a need for help 
and then there's a risk. Um, you respond to that. You don't stop and ask yeah. some questions. Yeah. You know, um, there's, I think what I want to say about that is um, sometimes the message of suffering doesn't come to us in the most skillful form. You know, sometimes the message of someone else's suffering is them like getting right up in our face and yelling at us about something. And it's so hard to calm ourselves down in that moment so that we can try to listen to what is the message. You know, I think um, all of us have maybe our first inclination is to say like, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you, don't yell at me. You know, I, I, or, you know, justify ourselves or defend ourselves or, um, you know, find a way to discredit the other person. And if we can calm ourselves down, we can um, stand a better chance, I guess, of hearing the message that is contained in the um, unpalatable delivery or the unskillful delivery. And, and we can hear that, okay, this person is really suffering and they're really distressed and um, they feel like, you know, I've, I've, I've treated them unjustly. And so um, how can I, how can I respond to that? Or how can I, how can I find a way to respond that's more soothing and doesn't just further inflame the situation? I don't know if that's, that's kind of what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Just those, those ordinary things that we have every day where, where, you know, we step on somebody's toes and they go, ow, you know, and we're just like, oh no. Um, So self-compassion comes in there too, you know, having, just being able to have compassion for yourself as a stumbling being who sometimes, you know, trips over something and, 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 you know, unintentionally hurts someone and, and in, in trying to take, to do something for yourself, um, just allow, allowing ourselves to try not to respond to ourselves first with this, you know, kind of moment of judgment, but just like, you know, how can I, how can I help you? Okay. How can I help me? Maybe I need to help me first and then I can help you. Um, but, but finding a way to neutralize that, that painful, you know, ouch impulse. So thanks for the reminder and thanks for being here today. Nyozan. Yes. I just wonder, um, if you might have some comments, uh, I, I would have no idea myself how to answer this. So if you don't, it's fine. But what about compassion for somebody like Daryl, Derek Chauvin? I mean, here's a person who's done just this hideous thing that has, you know, as you pointed out, the people in the crowd, you know, traumatized massive numbers of people led to all kinds of difficulties that likely we will continue to see play out directly related to that, not to the general, more general phenomenon that's part of, you know, so this horrible, horrible thing, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, one imagines, I don't think one imagines, I think we know that this is also a person who's probably in incredible anxiety and suffering. Right. So what's the response to that? What should our 
is there a response to that? Or is that just one of the painful things that we have no resolution to and just have to live with? You know, I don't know if I could say anything about should or that we all might have the same response. I think that everyone's response is as different as your life circumstances, you know? Um, I do think that compassion comes in ways that we don't necessarily recognize and we, we, as, as compassion and in ways that maybe are not so welcome in an individual person's life. Um, a prison sentence is not a welcome occurrence in your life, but it may be the, the compassionate act that somebody needs. I have been um, reading a book of um, about prison dharma from from the points of points of view of three men who are incarcerated who are practicing with um, the the Zen teacher Tonin O'Connor um, called Bodhisattvas Behind Bars, it's a, and it's a wonderful book. And what happens? In each of their lives, at some point in their story, when they've started practice, is that they come to see they come to have some compassion for themselves, and that helps them to own the enormity of the act that led them to be incarcerated. And so that so that's compassion. You know, and and they are tra- they they are you know transformed through their practice of uh, you know the same practice that that we do, and that is that is maybe the best outcome of compassion. So um, so so I think it's complex, and I don't have I don't have a I don't know enough to say for anybody else what you know, what you think that should be look like or, or should be, but, um, everything, everything can be a manifestation of compassion. There's, there's not just one way. Well, yeah, yeah. My question was less directed. I mean, I think, you know, yes, to all you're saying about prison and what happens in prisons in good scenarios where people can process. I, I know, you know, all about, but I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, pointing it out for other people. No, 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 no. But the, the, what I was trying to say is, is, is I'm not thinking about so much that situation. I'm thinking about our situation. I see Chauvin's face on the screen and I have rage. You know, I just have rage. And okay. uh, it's hard for me to have compassion. I mean, it's hard for me to even, I would like, you know, I will acknowledge part of me just would like to see that man and men like him, people like him, just, I I deeply wish they were not part of our universe. You know, that's what I'm talking about. What do we do with that? I think it's okay to feel that. Um, I I think it's also okay to recognize that this was a suffering being long before this incident, you know, and, and, and in maybe not recognizing his own suffering created it for other people. I think Tygen maybe had a response. Uh, yeah, actually, there uh, a response and then also a story. So two separate things. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, so um, first of all, I just wanted to uh, thank you for your talk, Asian, and I wanted to thank you for bringing up this uh, the George Floyd murder trial. I've also been watching bits of it and um, feeling all the the 
the sadness and compassion of all the witnesses and of George Floyd's girlfriend and talking about their struggle together with addiction. And uh, it's just a situation of uh, really feeling the sadness of, you know, a part of the reality that we all face. So uh, in terms of Nyozan's question, uh, maybe the most compassionate thing for Derek Chauvin is um, that he be held accountable appropriately, and that not, and that may mean being in prison for a long time. Uh, I think that would be a comp- might be a compassionate response. Um, and, but we have to look more deeply, not just at this person, but you know the systemic nature of white supremacy and racism in our society that affects all of us, all of us in some way. And um, how do we look at that compassionately, appreciate that people who are even violent white supremacists, you know, were conditioned by their parents, the culture, whatever, towards that, and that we have to cure that. Um, and part of the cure is, or heal that. Uh, I don't know that we can cure it. It's, it's, it's you know, centuries of our collective karma. But anyway, just that the healing has to include um, respecting everyone and just, but also uh, feeling the pain of, uh, you know, this just underlines the pain of all black people who uh, just by being stopped by a police police person can be subject to this. Uh, So this is just a huge sadness that we need to recognize in our in our society and um, being open to just witnessing, I think is, is part of the healing anyway. Um, And just uh, again, I I just felt moved by all the witnesses and and people who testified. Um, Anyway, I I just, that's just a partial response, but I also wanted to tell a story um, of um, one of the <clears throat> scenarios in the in the chant is if you're if you're threatened by vicious bandits calling on Kanzion, we'll dispel that. So uh, 40 years ago, I was uh, practicing at San Francisco Zen Center, City Center, and working at the Tassajara Bakery in San Francisco, which was then a really wonderful practice place where everybody who worked there was sitting Sazen every day and practicing and, and trying to work there to support San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, I worked many years there uh, in various capacities. At one point I was working on the bench in the back or rolling out Danish and croissant and early in the morning. So uh, one time I was on waiting for a bus, uh, I don't know, 3.30 in the morning, something like that. And, San, and and right near San Francisco's and Center City Center at that time, not the case anymore, there were housing projects where there was a lot of crime and drugs and um, and um, mostly black people who were suffering in that situation. Anyway, I was waiting for a bus at 3.30 and two guys came up to me and one of them held a, put a gun in my face and said, give me your money. I wasn't thinking about Kanzeon or compassion, but I'd been practicing. And uh, my response, you know, without thinking about it, was just, I saw that he was more scared than I was. And, um, and 
he was shaking. He probably was on drugs. I don't know. But the gun was in my face. And I said, cool. just be cool, man. It's okay. I'll give you my wallet. It's, it's all right. Just take it easy. It's okay. And I just, you know, said that to him calmly a few times and gave him my wallet and, and they split and he didn't shoot me in the face. So I think of this as one of my near-death experiences. Anyway, uh, and um, later, that, in the, later I called the police and we went to, through the housing project with them and uh, I retrieved my wallet, which um, had everything except the cash that was in it, had been in it. I don't remember how much, don't know how much. But anyway, I, I don't, you know, it's that kind of response where I actually saw him and, and somehow I wasn't scared by the gun in my face so much as I saw how scared he was. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a kind of example of one of those stories. Yeah. So, so you could recognize him. Thank you, Tag, And you could recognize this person as a suffering being who was doing something unskillful out of his suffering. And um, I think that's how I think of Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin is not the only person in the world who is inflicting inflict pain on someone because they don't know what to do with their own suffering. They're kicking someone else. Yeah, and this this young young man, you know, this was probably how he uh, made a living. I don't know. I don't know what his situation was. I I knew I didn't know his situation, except I saw how scared he was. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. David. I just want to say that I think that part of being compassionate for, for um, officer Derek involves finding ways to help cops. You know, uh, police are, are very much at risk for suicide um, the training is not adequate. The toxic masculinity of police culture discourages police from getting getting help that they need and from from approaching life in a way that they need. And 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 a, and a cop who who walks up to a car, you know, knows that that they're that that they could be shot in the face. Um, and 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 what Derek Chauvin did is is something that that many many cops have done. I'm glad that he's being um, called to account. I'm glad that there's a trial, and I, and I, I think that I, I think it's easy to feel compassion for him, and and at the same time to want him to come to justice and to want there to be reform. And it's so deep; it's so systemic. Toxic masculinity is as much a problem as systemic racism, and the two things are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. I, that, all of what you said is hugely important that this person is visible to us, but there are, you know, how many other thousands of people who are one, you know, video tape away from, from being visible or are, you know, three steps away from making a similarly bad decision. So this is, it's, it's huge. There are, there are huge systemic issues at play in this and, uh, and really a, a, a need for whatever compassion all of us can bring to bear on the world and to help others who can then help others to bring compassion to the world. So thank you, everyone, for your attentive and caring and compassionate 
um, discussion about about Kanzayong and and Kanzayong's workings in the world. Um, 